0: Some pitchers can hit, some can't, but when they do, oh, it's a thing of beauty. Check out some of the top moments of pitchers on offense and see for yourself today on Rounders, a history of baseball in America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. It is me, your host, Jeff Lambert. Oh, folks, you should see me right now. I've got a huge smile on my face. I'm so excited to be back in front of the microphone. It has been a bit, but I am glad to be back with you. It is August. We are starting things off on the right foot, and I am excited about the list of episodes that we have upcoming for the month. If you want to find out what those are, make sure to follow this show on social media. We're on Facebook we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, at Podcast. one word, and you can see what's on the docket for topics as we move into the fall. But boy, I just want to say I missed you. It's great to be back, and I am excited for the future. I just wanted to run a couple things by you before we get into today's episode about pitchers on offense. There are going to be some episodes that I'm going to be doing some shorter form content called This Week in Baseball. We had... Worked on this as a, a premium option, but considering the state you know that we find ourselves in with the economy and everything, uh, it's something I'm going to be releasing by email on a weekly basis for free for the time being for you to enjoy. So if you'd be interested in receiving a weekly email with a short, uh, shorter podcast episode about some of the top stories in baseball from week to week related to history, but also to current events, you can do that by just signing up for the email subscriber list. I have a link in the show notes. If you want to support the show financially, uh, continue to do so, and maybe not on a monthly basis, like I said, considering how we find ourselves right now and, uh, you know, tough times economically, you can leave me a one-time good game tip if you want to send me something on, uh, you know, PayPal or Venmo or Cash App. Every you know amount you send me allows me to spend some more time on the show and be able to reinvest in being able to pay uh, my assistant cast to be able to upgrade the equipment, to be able to keep the show going strong. That way we don't have uh, any, you know, major gaps. That's a big, big thing that I want to work on to make sure you're getting a steady stream of content. So you can choose to leave me a good game tip if you want. And of course I love hearing back from you. So please, you know, message me on social, send me an email, rounderspodcast at com. If you have questions, we're going to be resuming the monthly mailbags. So, you know, if there's something about history you want me to dive into specifically, just send me a message. You can also leave me a voicemail if you want to be featured on the show. There's a link in the show notes for that. And you can uh, have your voice featured on asking your question, and I'll do my best to answer it. So that's the rundown, folks. I'm giving you some different ways to be able to connect with me, and we're just going to get things going again. And like I said, I'm excited to be back and talking baseball. So for today, we have a great topic we're going to be covering. We're going to be talking about the greatest moments of pitchers at the plate. And boy, we have some great ones for you. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. So this topic that we're going to be discussing today, pitchers on offense, this has been on the list for a long time. And I think it came from a place of wanting to celebrate, you know, how much the pitcher, maybe not so much in recent memory, but, you know, throughout baseball's history has had an impact on the game at times, major times in baseball history from being there, not just on the mound, but also at the plate. And so, you know, Cass and I, uh, my research assistant, we were working together on trying to figure out where do we go with this topic. And, you know, it was a really interesting dive into history about going through when those moments happened and deciding which ones do we talk about? Which ones do we highlight? And this is certainly subjective in certain ways because there are some really interesting moments out there when pitchers affected games offensively. And so we're going to we have a top five list, I guess you could say that I'm going to present to you today. But before we get into those top five moments of pitchers at the plate, I do want to jump into just a background of pitchers in a hitting, uh, situation. And, we have this attitude i think a modern attitude toward pitchers as oftentimes being looked at as one of the lesser athletic positions that ball players can hold and you can see this evidence by the fact sometimes when we're watching tv if a pitcher makes a successful fielding play sometimes there's those sarcastic comments about pitchers being athletes and things like that but pitching has become you know a specialized position in baseball but look, baseball began as being a sport with nine active players in the field, and those same nine players would consist of the batting lineup, and that would include the pitcher. And so we have to pay attention to, I think, the legacy of this position and how it did once very strongly you know, correlate with the performance that they had at the plate. But that's gone away as time has gone on. Pitchers have had less and less of an offensive role, and we've paid less and less attention to pitchers honing their offensive skill sets. It's not something that scouts look for dramatically. It's not something that's held as high value when we're waiting pitchers today. And that's been kind of a slow burn. The baseball has continually devalued a pitcher's offensive stats, and it's held less and less weight to the quality of the pitcher when we're talking about the contributions that they make or when it comes to scouting players uh, in terms of what they can do potentially for a ball club just to illustrate that fact we have a stat called runs created that's used in baseball that's uh for for my stat heads that's the rc uh abbreviation runs created is the stat this is used in particular to estimate a player's offensive contributions in terms of the total runs that they've generated. So, for instance, a stat would estimate the number of runs that a hitter contributes to their team. This has been used as a way to be able to judge a player's uh, effectiveness on offense. And this was actually created by Bill James, who, you know, very, very, you know, celebrated baseball historian and author. He's the father of sabermetrics, you know, that we saw in the Moneyball movie that Billy Vane, uh Billy Bean, excuse me, made, you know, uh, very uh, notorious there for a while. So, RC is a, it's a deep stat that you can use to judge a player's offensive ability, right? Well, there's another stat that is kind of a substat of the runs created, uh, statistic that you can use called, uh, WRC plus or the weighted runs created statistic. And this was used for us to be able to judge the offensive effectiveness of players, no matter when they played in the sport. So it takes into account external factors like the ballparks that they played in or the era that they played in. So the WRC stat, the weighted runs created stat, is a way that we, as people who like baseball history, can quantify run creation and normalize it so you can compare a player who plays now versus a player who played back then in a different ballpark or a different era. So just to give you an example, like a player who played his home games uh, at Detroit's Briggs Stadium in the 1950s, one of the most hitter-friendly parks ever, he would have a lower weighted runs created stat than a player who posted identical stats at Oakland Coliseum in the 2010s. Uh, in a pitcher friendly stadium. And so it allows us to see based on different factors, and it takes into account stadium and era how gifted players were offensively, how much production did they produce? So FanGraphs, the website did a chart that actually showed the decline in runs created for pitchers since 1900. And I'm going to post a stat on our social networks for you to see, but players around the year 1900 had an average weighted runs created of 50, right? 50 by 2010. The last time that the, the, the last year that this uh, chart takes into account, it had dropped to negative 20 in terms of weighted runs created for pitchers. And so we obviously know why it's because of that reduced role that the pitcher has in the offensive effectiveness of a team. So, you know, there's, there's obviously reasons for that. It's become a more specialized position. We see that the DH, you know, was created in the American league, which eliminated the opportunity for that nine player roster to come up to bat. And now we're seeing that the DH is being implemented in the national league too. And so, The days of watching pitchers and hitters hitting and running bases, it's going to become even more of a rarity, and I think that's why this topic is so important for us to cover. We're going to take the opportunity to look back and see those moments when pitchers did impact the game with their hitting, not just their pitching. So let's jump into these five moments. I think you're going to love them. And I would love to hear back from you about how you would have rated these or if we missed any in particular that you feel should have made this top five. So how did we choose these specific moments as the, you know, the top ones in terms of pitchers on offense? So we had three categories we used, I guess, our criteria for choosing these five times, uh, the first one we looked at and waited was what was the game situation? Like, was this a close ball game where the offensive play that the pitcher made really mattered? Or was it a blowout where, you know, they were already up 18 0 and the pitcher came and, you know, hit a three run uh, triple, you know, did it really matter to the outcome of the game? So that's the first criteria we used. The second one was, was the uh, event memorable? Was it a no-hitter, you know, breaking up a no-hitter? Was it a walk-off? Was it a World Series event? Did it happen at an All-Star game? You know, what was the, what was the tie-in in terms of the lasting impact of it on people's minds? And then thirdly, on top of these two, we looked at the reputations of the players involved. And by reputation, I'm talking more about what was their background? So were they a rookie, you know, an unproven rookie no one had ever heard of? Was it this end of bench veteran who was on his last legs that made this amazing offensive play? Was it somebody who was really sick, who dragged themselves up to the plate and made an amazing, you know, turnaround? What was the... What was the player's uh, current predicament or current situation, their background, and how that played into it? So that's how we use those three metrics to choose these top five moments where pitchers shined on offense. So let's go ahead and get into it, folks. Number five, we're going to start off with Mike Hampton in 2001, a moment when he hit home runs in three straight at-bats. So let me set the table for you. Like I said, we're jumping in the time machine. We're going back to 2001. Mike Hampton, if you're not familiar with Mike, if you're a younger listener or maybe just someone who, you know, uh, more of a casual fan, Mike Hampton is widely known to be one of the top, if not the top offensive pitcher to play Major League Baseball throughout his history. This guy was really something at the plate during his career. He won five consecutive silver slugger awards for the pitcher position, which was actually something major league baseball gave out back in 2001. Uh, I wasn't able to find specifically when they stopped awarding that, but it's not something that's given out now, but from 1999 to 2003, Mike Hampton won five consecutive Silver Slugger awards in that category. In 2003, he won the Gold Glove and the Silver Slugger, and he was the first pitcher to win both of those at the same time. And another historical, I guess, uh, effect of him winning both of those at the same time in 2003 is a guy named Greg Maddox had won 13 consecutive gold gloves in a row in the national league. And Mike Hampton, when he won it that year, the silver slugger and the gold glove, he ended up shattering, uh, Greg Maddox's streak by doing so. So here we have Mike Hampton, the guy's known for being excellent at the plate and he was also more than good on the mound as well. But over his career, you know, he had hit 16 home runs. He had hit seven in 2001 alone, the year where we're going to highlight this specific event. So this year in 2001, he hit three home runs back to back to back and three straight at bats during this 2001 campaign when he was with the Colorado Rockies. So this is what happened specifically. We have a game against the Houston Astros, right? He takes a fastball, hits it to right center, gets an opposite field homer, right? His next at-bat, he hits a hanging breaking ball over the left field wall for his second home run of the game against the Astros. So that's two-in-one game. The next game comes up, and his next at-bat comes against the St. Louis Cardinals. So he gets up to bat for the third time, hits a fastball right into center field over the wall, Three home runs in a row, three straight at-bats. Unbelievable. But again, Mike Hampton, certainly a talented guy when it came to his hitting abilities, was able to translate that into three back-to-back-to-back instances of knocking one yard. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. So that is our choice for number five. Mike Hampton and his three home runs, uh, consecutive home runs in two straight games. Way to go, Mike now, another point I just want to make before we on, go on to number four, he wasn't the first guy to do this either. That feat of hitting three home runs and three separate at-bats was actually something that was topped. Well, I shouldn't say topped, but was met by a player, a pitcher named Michael Lorenzen, who did this in just recently in 2018. So he did the same thing. He hit three home runs in three consecutive at-bats, and he did it in three separate games for Mike Hampton. It took two. So Lorenzen hit one home run uh, in an 8-6 win against the Chicago Cubs, a 350-foot bomb. And then the next day, uh, he's a player for the Cincinnati Reds, by the way, uh, in a loss to the Milwaukee Brewers. He hit another one, 384 feet. And then he came on as a pinch hitter in the midst of a rally for the Reds in the third game, and he hit a 97-mile-per-hour fastball over the left field wall for a grand slam. How about that, huh? So three in a row, we saw this happen again with Michael Lorenzen in 2018 as well. So both deserve honorable mention for accomplishing this feat. All right, folks, let's go to number four. Number four, you're going to get in the time machine and come with me to 2008. We see Felix Hernandez hit a grand slam off Johan Santana. Yes, let's talk about it. Now, to set the table. In the five decades where the American League has had a DH, pitchers have hit a total of one Grand Slam. And it was in this instance that we're talking about now. And it was done by none other than King Felix Hernandez of the Seattle Mariners. Now, why do we list this number four? Why is this so important? Well, it was just a situation where that home run It had such a low chance of actually happening. I mean, Felix Hernandez, there's no question this guy was a dominant pitcher during his time, but at the plate, not so much. So, up until this, you know, up and over his 15 year career, he had 50 total at bats. And during that 50 total at bats, he hit four, he got four hits. So we went four for 50, folks. So this guy was not known for being the one that you would expect anything out of when he comes to the plate. But for this moment, boy, did he shine. So in 2008, there was this interleague game between the Mariners. They were playing the Mets at Shea Stadium. And this game, you know, certainly wasn't something people expected for the pitchers to get involved on offense, but it certainly was a pitcher's duel that everybody was excited about because you had Felix Hernandez, one of the best pitchers right now in 2008 in the league. This guy's amazing, and he's facing off against Johan Santana, who also is one of the league's best pitchers during this time. As a matter of fact, Santana was the league leader in ERA that season. That's how good he was. So you've got these two guys dueling it out. What is supposed to be going to be a low-scoring game you have, because the game obviously, like I said, against the Mets at Shea Stadium, we see Hernandez has to take... Uh, The plate. And so he trots out there. Oh, my goodness. It's the second inning of a scoreless game. No one's expecting anything to happen. Hernandez steps up to the plate. The bases are loaded. And Santana delivers him a 94-mile-per-hour fastball. And Hernandez winds up and just nails this thing. Hits it over the right field fence. It's an opposite field grand slam home run and everybody lost their minds. Felix Hernandez just hit a grand slam (laughs) and the Mariners went on to win this game. They won five to two. Uh, Even though Hernandez hit that grand slam, he wasn't great on the mound. He actually only lasted uh, 4.2 innings Uh, and he gave up an earned run as well. He hurt his ankle, to be fair, because he was going to cover the the plate during a play, and Carlos Beltran slid into him. So that cut it short for him in terms of that game, but not before. He knocked a big grand slam. And again, he's the only pitcher in American League history to do this. So you combine that with the fact that Felix was not known for his hitting skills, and you combine that with being the only guy to do it, And he did it against Johan Santana, who, again, this guy led the MLB and ERA during that season. He was a two-time Cy Young Award winner by the end of his career, and he was still able to pull it off. So number four, Felix Hernandez knocking a grand slam off of a Cy Young pitcher. That takes us to number three, folks. This time we're traveling further back in time. We're going to 1986. We're going to be looking at a pitcher named Craig Lefferts gentleman who hit a walk-off homer while sick. Let's talk about it. So the date was April 25, like I said, in 1986. We had the San Diego Diego Padres excuse me, playing the San Francisco Giants. They're playing at Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego. Now, leading up to this game, there's a guy named Craig Lefferts. He's a relief pitcher for the Padres. He shows up to the ballpark that night. He is feeling horrible. He has a 102-degree fever going. He wasn't even supposed to pitch that night, but he showed up, and the plan was uh, initially just stay in the trainer's room, probably lay down on one of the beds in there, just take it easy, you're here, that's great. But he wasn't even supposed to go out to the bullpen, supposed to just hang out in the trainer's room. But what had happened was by the seventh inning of that game, they were low on pitchers. They had gone through several release pitchers. So Padres manager Steve Boros... Told Lefferts, well, look, we might need you, bud. Can you put your cleats on and go sit in the bullpen at least, just in case? And so Lefferts, with this 102-degree fever, puts his cleats on, goes out, sits in the bullpen, not expecting to play. But it turns out they did need him that night. So what had happened was the game was in the Padres' favor. They go to the ninth inning. They have another reliever, their closer, Rich Gossage, Hall of Famer risk Gossage, for the Padres, goes out to the mound. No problem, right? He's going to close things out. No. Gossage gives up a two-run lead in the ninth, and the game is tied. So the game goes into the 11th inning, and... The Padres have no choice but to put Lefferts in the game to pitch. So in the 11th inning, Lefferts goes in. He does well. He pitches a scoreless inning in the 11th. But then in the top of the 12th, he gives up a run. Oh, no. Now, remember, the game's at home for the Padres, so they've got the bottom to be able to even this out. So the Padres come up to bat. They decide to keep Lefferts in the game to hit. So Lefferts with 102-degree fever i uh, given up a run last inning, probably feeling horrible, has to go to the plate and try and help his team win this game. And on top of that, he has to do it against the Giants ace closer. Who's now in the game, a gentleman known by the name of Greg Minton, moon man, Greg Minton. And Minton was a heck of a pitcher during the 1980s. Uh, like he pitched 16 years. That's how long his career was from 1979 to 1982. He pitched 269 consecutive innings without giving up a home run. And on top of that, he was an all-star. So this guy, uh, Oh, and he's also a, you know, I should have mentioned as well. He's a walk of fame inductee for the giants. If you were to visit the stadium. So a beloved figure in giants history, he's the guy that's on the mound and Lefferts has to go up there with a fever and try and generate some offense. So, Here's what happens. The the pressure's a little bit off him. The first hitter of the inning for the Padres, Greg Nettles, he ties the game with a solo home run. So that means the game's tied up again, and Lefferts comes to the plate. So if he can generate even a hit, maybe a walk, get someone on base, give them a chance to close this out, okay, that's good. And Lefferts was okay at the plate. He was 8 for 39 in his career up until this point. So, you know, he falls 0-2. 0-2 in the count really quickly. Two nasty sinkers from Minton. And then here comes the third pitch. It's a curveball, but it hangs. Oh, no. And this is what Lefferts had to say about it on that third pitch. He said, quote, I one-armed it. I swung off my front foot, but I made a perfect connection. Sometimes when you're not feeling well, you have to concentrate more to overcompensate. And that's what I did, end quote. So Lefferts hits that third pitch bombs it out of the park, hits a a walk-off home run, and the Padres end up winning the game. How about that, huh? Now, he did this while he had the fever. Uh, Certainly a memorable moment for him in his career. And that was actually the last home run that he hit throughout the course of the rest of his career. Uh, he went 7-for-92 over his his next uh, offensive moments. So that was the pinnacle of his career, that moment, and certainly one that sticks out, I'm sure, for Padres fans. So we've gone through five, four, and three of our top five moments of pitchers on offense. Folks, we're going to take just a quick break for the seventh inning stretch. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we've t- got two great ones to discuss with you. Hang in there. We'll be back. Hey everybody and welcome back to the show. Thanks for sticking with us. We have had some interesting moments that we've been discussing about pitchers on offense throughout baseball history. We started off by talking about Mike Hampton hitting three home runs and three consecutive at-bats. We had talked specifically about Felix Hernandez hitting a grand slam off fellow ace, Johan Santana. And then for pick number three, we just covered Craig Lefferts hits a walk-off home run with 102 degree fever. And that brings us to our top two moments of pitchers on offense. We are going to travel to one of the most famous championship series in baseball history, playoff uh, matchups here. We are going to talk about the 2003 National League Championship Series. And the hero of this moment is Kerry Wood. Now, again, Kerry Wood, if you're not familiar, oh my gosh, this guy is was and I believe still is, should be at least, highly regarded as one of those pitchers. This guy had nasty stuff, especially a nasty fastball. Uh, one of those pitchers in MLB history, if you saw him pitch, you knew that this guy was something special. He had a 20 strikeout game during his career. He was unfortunately plagued by injuries, which I think really cut into his legacy. But uh, Kerry Wood, wow, just an amazing, amazing pitcher. And he had a moment to show off his skill at the plate uh, in the 2003 NLCS now the 2003 playoffs, boy, that was a weird year, folks. For those of you that went through it, we saw the Cubs and the Red Sox both make it back to the championship series, which was something we were not used to. Of course, 2003, as a Red Sox fan, was a tough year for me. That was uh, Aaron Bleep and Boone hitting that you know shot in extra innings to knock the Red Sox out. That was a tough one to live through. And of course, this was the year for the Cubs when Steve Bartman grabbed that foul ball. Uh, as you well remember, and really sent uh, Chicago into a tailspin, and they ended up losing their championship series as well. But there was this one little golden moment in the 2003 NLCS, and that was when Kerry Wood did something amazing at the plate. So it was Game 7 of the NLCS, and it was the Chicago Cubs against the Florida Marlins. Kerry Wood was the starting pitcher. He got off to a rough start. He had gave up three runs in the top of the first. So in the bottom of the second, the Cubs were trying to make a little bit of a comeback. They had scored a run and they had another runner on third and there were two outs and Kerry Wood steps up to the plate. He knows it's do or die for his team. He had just given up three runs in the first. He has a chance to make something happen here at the plate, the plate. Now he was not a great offensive presence, uh, he was like I said, he was great on the mound, not great uh, at the plate. And I think Cubs fans were probably hoping, oh look, Carey, just you know, try and make it on a, fa- a past ball or get a broken back single, work a walk, something, just get on base. That's what they were hoping for at this point. But look, Carey Wood, he hung in there. He worked a full count, right? Here in the second. And facing that 3 2 count, he swings and crushes an 85 mile per hour fastball into the Wrigley Field bleachers. The fans go nuts. Oh my goodness. A two run over. The game is now tied again. And Kerry Wood, of course, you know, I think was probably as surprised as everybody else. And he actually looked back on that moment when he was on uh, former teammate, Ryan Dempster's podcast. And uh, credit to Cass, our research assistant for finding this one. This is what Kerry Wood had to say about that moment. He said, quote, I remember sitting on the bench thinking, all right he's not going to be walking the pitcher in a playoff game with a guy on base and the lead off runner coming. I'm sorry, the lead off hitter coming up. So I'm getting a fastball and I guessed right. End quote. So Kerry Wood was able to guess the pitch coming in. Knocked it over the fence, was able to tie that game back up. And, you know, he remembered to what it was like when he hit that home run, how the crowd reacted. And he had this to say, quote, when I hit first base and I turned and I was running toward second, I saw the bleachers just erupting in beer and whatever liquid they could find and throw in the air. I ran so slow around the bases because I thought my legs would give out. I thought they were jello. End quote. So Kerry Wood is able to impact this team on offense. Of course, unfortunately, the Cubs went on to lose this game and of course lose the NLCS. Uh, A memorable year for them because of everything that happened. But there was that moment. Kerry Wood, in all of the great things he did on the mound, was able to do something great in a very clutch moment in the playoffs as well by hitting that home run. And that's why we put him at number two on our list. So, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to number one. What was the greatest moment in baseball history for a pitcher on offense? Again, subjective. But we have to give it to none other than some of you know him by Bartolo Colon. Some of you know him as the big sexy. That's right. We have a time... In 2016, where a 40-year-old pitcher hits a home run. And that's going to be our number one moment. So let's hop in. We're going to go back to 2016 and recount this moment. For those of you who may not be familiar with Bartolo Colon, he was always one of my favorite pitchers. Um, He was just someone who aged with the game and was effective till a very, uh, you know, later time in his life. Uh, in 2014, the New York Mets had decided to give Bartolo Colon a two year deal. He was 40 years old when they gave him this two year deal. He was almost 41. Like I think he was two months from 41. So he got a two year, $20 million deal. Now, Cologne, I mean, this guy was amazing in his prime. He was a Cy Young winner, but that was also 10 years before this. And he had had elbow surgery since, but he gets this two-year deal. And he's expected to contribute kind of as a back-end rotation guy, maybe even as a, you know, a long-term relief type of guy. But he gets this contract in 2014, um, and it was covered by the media because, wow, a 40-year-old just got this large of a contract. And I think the other thing that was very uh, appealing about Bartolo Colon, he was just a fun guy to watch. He was always smiling. He was pure entertainment when he was out there on the mound. And if you follow the trajectory of his career, when he started off, he was this very skinny athletic picture. And then by the time he was 40, he was big. We're talking like 280 pounds, like very large gentleman here who's taking the mound. So that's how he got the nickname, the Big Sexy. He's a big guy, you know, especially later on in his career. So this 40-year-old, almost 41-year-old, very, um, very large man (laughs) is now pitching for the Mets. And, you know, he's got this two-year deal. He had played in the American League his whole career up until this point. So he had never had to worry about Um, being able to do anything at at the plate. It wasn't something he had to worry about. And I do want to throw myself a quick correction because I know someone's going to email me on this. He was... Uh, He did spend a half year, his rookie year in Montreal with the Expos before he was sent uh, elsewhere to the American League. So yes, he did play a little bit in the National League, but it didn't result in any plate appearances. So here he is on the Mets at the tail end of his career. In 2014, he doesn't do horrible. He had 69 plate appearances. Uh, He got two hits, I guess, two for 69. Someone who had never had to worry about hitting before but he did strike out 33 times. And so, uh, you know, not someone you expect anything from in terms of offense. Uh, so 2014 was okay. And by the way, he pitched really well that first season as an almost 41 year old, he got 15 wins. He pitched 202 innings and he was one of the anchor points for that New York Mets squad. No one expected them to do anything that year. They ended up finishing second in the national league East. So not bad. Again, it was kind of a joke when they signed him. But he turned, uh, you know, into a real production getter for them. So in 2014, great at the plate. I'm assuming great at the mound. Not so great at the plate. In 2015, he also turned in a respectable year on the mound. Did a little bit better at the plate. He collected eight hits and 58 at bats. So maybe he's getting the getting the hang of it. If he goes into his 41st uh, birthday here, so that takes us to 2016, right? Okay, so he had gone five for 60 up until this point, right? We go to this game on May 7th. The Mets are playing against the Padres. Again, San Diego makes our list and Bartolo Colon is pitching, right? So the Padres had taken a 2-0 lead and they were going against uh, Padres pitcher, James Shields. So because Bartolo Colon was the starting pitcher for the Mets, he finds himself having to bat in this game. So there's two outs. There is a base runner on. Cologne comes to the plate. Shields throws him a fastball. It's high and up and Cologne just, I'm sure, partially closed his eyes, takes this huge swing and he connects with it perfectly. He drives the ball over the left field wall and, oh my goodness, nobody expected it. A two-run shot from a 41-year-old Bartolo Cologne and This is the moment. Everyone just losing their minds. Cologne's rounding the bases. He's going so slow. (laughs) And it may be because of his weight. It may just because he's savoring the moment. Who knows? But he gets back to the dugout the entire team had actually gone into the tunnel, back to the locker room, leaving the dugout empty, just to like give him that moment, you know, of un- unbelievable. Everybody was like, I'm done. I can't believe this happened. And so just what a moment. Even the, you know, the Mets broadcasters called it an impossible moment. And I'm just going to play that clip for you real quick so you can hear it. Alone, looking for his first hit of the year. Oh. He drives one. Deep left field goes Upton, back near the wall it's out of here Bartolo has done it the impossible has happened the team vacates the dugout as Bartolo takes the long trot, his first career home run and there will be nobody in the dugout to greet him Ah, ah, ah. This is one of the great moments in the history of baseball Bartolo Colon has gone deep. I want to say that was one of the longest home run I've ever seen, but I think that's how fast he runs (laughs) And now they'll flood up the tunnel and give him his just due. His 226th (laughs) career at bat you knew if he ever made contact in just the right way, he was strong enough to do it. And now Bartolo has brought down the house. Yeah, just imagine being there to see this. It must have been something. And then they interviewed Colon after the game. <laughs> and he said, uh, quote, I knew I had just hit a home run because the bat didn't vibrate, end quote. And so, oh my goodness, huh? This is This is probably a top moment, at least in terms of seeing a pitcher do something completely unexpected. And of course, you know, <laughs> New York Mets fans, you don't have a lot to cheer about these past, you know, five to 10 years, but this is certainly something to also keep uh, as a as a warm moment uh, in celebrating what occurred. But Bartolo Colon takes our number one spot for greatest moments in offensive history for pitchers. And boy, there's a lot of honorable mentions that we didn't get to talk about that, you know, you could certainly throw into this list. You had Madison Baumgartner who hit two home runs, uh, in one game on opening day in 2017. Uh, you had Carlos Zambrano and all of his career hitting highlights. You've got Kude Sung and the base running that he did in his jacket. Uh, Noah Snyder guard. He won two games in 2016 with his bat and his pitching. I mean, just, uh, uh. Superb performance there. In 1971, you had Rick Wise. He threw a no hitter, but he hit two two home runs at the same time. Uh, Matt Kane also was a guy who threw a perfect game in 2012, but he also got an RBI single. There were other moments that we certainly could have, you know, thrown into this list, but from our standpoint, these were the top five moments of pitchers on offense. So I would love to hear from you about this list, how you felt about the ranking. If there was one that we missed, uh, it would be a great conversation to us to continue on social. And uh, that's where we have it, folks. The pitcher has impacted games on offense several times throughout baseball history. It's important for us to look back on those moments and celebrate them. And that was the goal here today. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening and watching again. If you'd like to leave me a good game tip on PayPal, Venmo, cash app, whatever it is, uh, every little bit helps that's down in the show notes. Remember if you want, submit me a question for the monthly mailbag episode. I'm more than happy to answer your questions. You can message me on social. You can send me an email at rounderspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can leave me a voicemail, which is also a link in the show notes. And I just want to thank you. You are supporting independent sports media, which is what this is. And we want to make sure that we're delivering you something that is responsive to what you want to hear. Something that really gets into the details because we love this sport and not just because we're out of touch and we're trying to make something up as we go, like some other sports monopolies I won't mention. But folks, thank you so much for joining me today. And remember, there are only two seasons, winter and baseball. Rounders, A History of Baseball in America is produced by Jeffrey Lambert. Our research assistant is Cass Silber. A special thanks to our starting nine supporters, Nathan Halverson and Jack Wilson.